a pick Mike could only give you. White of the Eye starts now. Ten years ago, she married the man of her dreams. I love you more now than I did then. But does she really know him? Do you, baby? How much is she willing to understand? You know I do. Or forgive? I couldn't believe it. It's like it's like somebody else is doing it, and I'm watching, and I'm and I'm going crazy. This is insanity. I don't believe you. I think you're making this whole thing up. Can't run any longer. Finally, she must ask herself if the man she married is a man she knows. I got the key, Mom. I think can't. David Keith and Kathy Moriarty go beyond the limits of love in <laughs> White of the Eye. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface. Fuck the prime time, bitch! Mom with the new flesh. The pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some video. Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. This is the Degenerate Utopia, Mike. And it's me, Colton. It is October 19th, 2021. We are here talking about Mike's pick for October Fest. White of the Eye from 1987, directed by Donald Camel or Camel, as we were trying to decide before we recorded. I feel like either way, as Colton said, this is probably the only shout-out he's ever received. <laughs> Our question for the day. Uh, I came highly unprepared to ask anything. So I figured let's uh, let's keep it somewhat simple. Instead of what have we been watching, how about what future movies are we looking forward to seeing that are coming out, whether it be, you know, it doesn't even have to be a movie. It could be a television series. It could be anything. Uh, We'll start with you, Colton. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We're here recording this on October 19th. No clue when it's going to be actually put up, but I'm highly anticipating Dune. I cannot wait to go see that at the end of the week. Like... I have four or five friends of mine. We're all going in IMAX, and I, I don't know. I'm just craving like to get back to the regular theater experience. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, also looking forward to Last Night in Soho, which comes out in I think it's next week. So looking forward to that. I I absolutely love Edgar Wright. I'm a big Anya Taylor Joy fan from her The Witch days, and I mean. I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of anticipating the few different Marvel movies coming up as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a nerd. I am kind of looking forward to Spider-Man: 
No Way Home. I want to see if my man Toby Maguire makes it back in the movie. And uh, if Andrew Garfield doesn't make it back, I'd be fine with that. But uh, yeah, it's a few things I'm looking forward to in the next couple of months, at least when it comes to movies. How about you, Mike? Um, well, I've got a, a few. I also really like one of the movies I've been looking forward to most all year um, is also Last Night in Soho. Again, being, you know, a fan of everyone involved and, you know, it just looks really um like stylish and cool and fun. I really like the aesthetic. Even though it came out a few days ago, I still haven't seen Halloween Kills. And even though, you know, like it's been getting kind of like mixed word. I don't care. I really want to see it. I want to see my Real Housewives stars and, you know, Jamie Lee and Judy Greer. Uh, and other than that, honestly, well, I mean, I was really looking forward to Slumber Party Massacre remake, which I saw on Saturday. So that's essentially one of my big ones for the year ticked off. By the way, it's excellent. Everybody watch it. And other than that, it's really just like Scream in January. <laughs> the one more yeah, two. for sure. What about you? Yeah, uh, I feel like, yeah, we're kind of on the same level. Uh, I definitely uh, am excited for Scream. I'm interested to see, uh, you know, what... I feel like we don't know exactly more cast members from the original that are going to come back. I feel like they have to... You know, bring someone that's not in the trailer. Oh, absolutely. Listen, if Kirby doesn't come back from number four, I'm just walking out. I mean, I need some <laughs> And sort- I mean walking out at the end when the credits roll and she's <laughs> Of <not> course, <laughs> yeah. You gotta stick around for the after credits scene. <laughs> I mean, you never up. know, right? Like, it's... Yeah. I, I just need, like, um, coming back from the grave, like, Skeet Ulrich or something. That's all I really oh want. Oh my god, fuck Skeet, Skeet Ulrich. Ulrich. I want Rose McGowan back. <laughs> uh, Skeet Ulrich just j- doesn't age, like, whatsoever. I- I'm jealous yes, of Yes, because genes. he always looked like he was 50 years old. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, if you call that not aging, then, yeah, you're totally 100% right. You're such a hater, Mike. You're such a hater. I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I think he's excellent. I just thought he was 50 years old when I saw Scream and you know he could be 50 forever so that's good for him I guess just took him 30 years to grow into it terrible <laughs> savage also looking forward to last night in Soho uh I also really like you know Edgar Wright I'm interested to see uh kind of it, it looks like a take on a, a Jalo film so i'm interested to see that especially since we you know we had malignant which was like kind Mm -hmm. kind of a supposed to be another take on a giallo film i've seen people saying this movie is an american giallo film that we just watched so maybe i just don't like giallos that much (laughs) but hopefully edgar wright will make me like him next week when (laughs) i go see that and uh i feel like yeah halloween kills so i still haven't seen it yet i i think we're gonna try to go to it friday it's it's one that i keep saying i'm like i'd like to go to the theater and see it's probably Mm. you know it's one of the few uh, I think we've talked about it before. Exilia hates the theater, so because she falls asleep. Oh, really? I'm like the opposite. I'll fall asleep on my couch like all day, but in the theater, yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm a hundred percent in. Exilia claims it's perfect sleeping conditions, so she always just falls asleep. But she, I love how for some people, sleeping conditions means being around complete and utter fucking strangers <laughs> yeah, and being like a little bit too cold or a little bit too hot yeah. and you know the floor being sticky in these dirty ass <laughs> seats <laughs> i mean whatever God fl- whatever floats your boat but yeah no uh so i'll be excited to see that and 
I guess kind of a little odd, not really like a theater release, but I'm interested to kind of dive into this year's Blumhouse releases on Amazon. I didn't get a chance to do it last year, and I still haven't watched any of the ones released last year. Yeah, they release like four in October, don't they, usually? Or the last last year, are they doing four again this year, do you know? Yeah, I think it's four again this year. Okay. So I'm, I, I think I'm going to try to watch all of them just to see how they are. Like, I feel like they're fairly like quickly shot, quickly done films. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what they can bring to the table. Oh, and Antlers. I'm looking forward to that next week. I I can't remember the the cast or anything, but that movie's been getting like delayed for the last, what feels like the last two years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Antlers as well, especially. I don't know. Some fans of the podcast are probably looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I'll, I will, uh, I'll definitely check that one out as well. Mm-hmm. I, that's one that's been on, like you said, that's been on my list for two years. So yeah, <laughs> it'll Too be, long. it'll be nice to finally see it. But yeah, let's get in. Uh, let's get into the main event. White of the eye. Mike's pick. Uh, Mike, why don't you hit us with the bio before we start? Oh sure. I'm glad you asked, bro. Let me hit you with it. <laughs> Evidence of mutilated housewives points to a sound expert living unhappily with his wife in Arizona. And Riveting stuff. <laughs> curtain. <laughs> Thank you, Letterboxd, for keeping it very concise. Sadly, the movie itself wasn't quite as concise. <laughs> Period. So let's talk about uh, first experiences. Is this our first time seeing this film? Or is this in heavy rotation every year for us? Uh, Let's start with you, Mike. This was your pick. Actually, it's one of those movies that I used to see around, like, old rental shops and stuff when I was young. And I kind of was intrigued by it because, you know, it sounded like my type of movie. I mean, I always had that fucking taste in movies even when I was a youngster. And um, years later, I saw um, one of his other movies, Performance, which I'm not going to lie, I watched it absolutely like blitzed out of my mind i don't really remember very much about it but i remembered really liking it and thinking it was fucked up so that made me want to watch this more and also i really love kathy moriarty so i was like boom done like oh look it's out everywhere now because you know arrow put out a version of it it's on two weeks on shutter like let's do it so this was actually my first time watching it, even though I'd wanted to see it for years. All right. How about you, Colton? Uh, definitely my first time watching it. I, I've never even heard of it. Like literally the first time I heard about it was a month and a half when you sent me kind of like the upcoming episodes, what we wanted to record and, you know, oh, which which episodes you want to be on. And I was kind of like, oh, I'll be on a mic pick for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Oops. Well... I, I did you, watch you it. You picked the wrong mic pick, didn't you? Yeah, I, I kind of think so. I, I watched it on Shutter there, you know, finished watching it probably about an hour and a half ago now. And uh, yeah, it's my first time watching it. I don't think I'll be throwing it on next year to check it out, but I don't know. I've seen worse this year, so. I know, yeah. I know Exilia in her mind was so happy just thinking like, look at this sucker. <laughs> Yeah, saddled with uh, this one, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, same here. I had literally never heard of this. Uh, I usually never expect to hear of anything that Mike picks. Although, Mike knows, I go in with a very open mind, Mm -hmm. you know. I will give you that. Yeah, I mean, 
After Midnight, Eyes of Lore, Mars. Like, those two alone win my mic respect on picks that I'm like, this looks terrible. And then, and then up, you watched it and it was like... Life-altering. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I gotta check those out because I haven't seen those either, so... Oh, fantastic. Both of those. I remember when we put After Midnight out that I... Me, we all really liked it, and but I remember editing and stuff, and I was saying the auxilia that I was like, I just feel like no one's ever heard of this movie, and I was like, I know it's a scream release, and so it's gonna have like, yeah, but it was one of those ones that was bare bones, it didn't get like, yeah, the Royals Scream Factory treatment or anything. And then I remember we put it out, and I was actually surprised, like, it did like very well, and then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is a bigger, bigger deal than I thought. It's definitely still a cult oddity, but yeah. uh, I guess I'll stop what I'm doing, which is just, uh, Trying to talk about After Midnight instead of White of the Eye. <laughs> White of the Eye. <laughs> horror Hounds. Do you guys like horror music? I like horror music. Exilia likes horror music. We know Mike definitely loves horror music. So if you love horror music like we do, uh, join us on Spotify. Uh, we have a playlist up called the It Slays Podcast Horrific Playlist. We have some of our favorite tasty jams from some of our favorite horror movies, uh, and we're always consistently adding to the list. And let us know. You can uh, email us or Facebook or Instagram us and let us know if there's anything we should add to the playlist. I, I, I want to start a little differently this episode. I think, right. I think me, and, uh, me and Colton need uh an explanation i think every time we have an episode where there is a very thin line of is it a horror movie uh i know me and mike have made exilia explain her uh reasoning for films mike what uh what made you <laughs> pick this as a horror movie okay uh well that's easy first of all i've never seen it before <laughs> <laughs> so, second of all, the plot made it sound like a domestic slasher movie. Yeah, that is true. And, and I- then you had, like, Arrow and putting it out and Shudder picking it up. So, tell me how I was not going to think that it would fit squarely as a horror movie. Well, I, I have to come in and vouch for him a little bit as well, because I before watching the movie, I was kind of like, oh, is this a Mike pick that's not even classified as a horror movie? Like, is this kind of artsy? Is it out there? And I checked, and it was listed as a horror thriller, on, I think on Wikipedia. I got IMDb in front of me right now, and it's horror thriller there. I, I kind of agree. It, it definitely doesn't feel like a horror movie very much when I'm watching it. Um, but, but I can sight understand. unseen. Yeah, I can understand making that decision, yeah. Yeah. I believe, uh, I believe Colton's comment in our text thread was that it was a horny movie not a horror movie <laughs> and i stand by that and then you've got to say who's horny <laughs> everyone i mean when me and exilia saw that comment we were like uh we were kind of like like the meme with uh dave franco with like the noose around his neck where he says first time first time yeah uh, yeah <laughs> first time on a mic pick <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I'm kind of disappointed, Mike. I was expecting your number one answer to be what it is every time I ask you that question, which is, I just like to fuck shit up. Well, I mean, that too, obviously. <laughs> I, and you know what? I mean, I did think that it was going to be one of those that was going to tread a fine line. So, of course, I wanted to push it. 
and you know piss you off because that's what I love to do. And you do love to do. to do that. You do love it. But you know, I it's it's I did have extra justification this time, not just. I want to fuck with you, Rowan Fraser. You're exonerated. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the uh, the first main question. Our favorite scene, Colton. Let's start with you. Yeah. For me, I, I actually didn't think like this movie started off very bad. Like, I, I I mean, the opening credits of all the shots of the birds in the sky is a bit much. But when you get into like actually the first murder where it's kind of showing, like, the goldfish, and they take the goldfish and put it in with, like, the ham or the ribs or something, and it's kind of, like, flopping in there. She's making a couple of phone calls, and um, I think the killer just comes out of nowhere and, like, smashes her head against a a painting and then throws her across the table and stuff. Like, it's a very violent scene, and it was kind of surprising when I was watching it. I was like, like, okay, yeah, this is probably, like, a slasher movie, like, 100%, like, what Mike was thinking getting into the movie. And it had a lot of good cuts in it. You know, it was paced well, that one scene. And I was kind of like, okay, like, let's see where this goes. (laughs) And then, I don't know, the next hour of the movie is not really like that. So, it's probably my favorite scene from (laughs) what I, I don't know. It kind of, I was optimistic, I guess, at that point when I saw that scene. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree that is... That was what I had written down as my favorite scene because there wasn't a whole lot of them after that. But I and I I don't normally like doing this because, you know, I think it's a little bit psychotic. But like my my favorite scenes in it when there was that and essentially there was only like the two kill scenes, but they were both really well done mm-hmm. um, and really kind of like cool looking and like shot really well and stuff so that one and like the drowning scene were like the two that stood out but that first one especially again because you don't really expect it to get that like violent right out of the gate Mm -hmm. yeah the goldfish was just kind of disturbing to me i was like well i wonder if that goldfish died on set like he had a rough day (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was they're like quick you have like 10 seconds of shooting before we gotta throw this back in the bowl yeah yeah i feel like i'm kind of aligned with you guys when this first started other than like you said, the kind of the the bird shot, stuff like that. But the music came in. I was like, okay, I think I can kind of get into this vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, that opening scene, I was like, fuck yes. Another one for Mike. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, it was colorful. I mean, it was everything you'd want a, a Jalo to be. And I was just like, this is going to be awesome. I mean... I just, I love my Jollos, so I was just, like, fully on board. And then I kind of have a secondary favorite scene, and it is uh, right before the second kill. Is it the second kill? I kind of have the mix up now. Oh, maybe it's not the second kill. It's uh, it's when the lead is calling her best friend and telling her to call her after she's done the movie. Yeah, And this is his, like... I might be sucking a dick, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> you might be getting murdered by your husband, but uh, I got some head coming my way. So. <laughs> well, God. my favorite part's a little before that. It's uh, okay. as we're exploring her bathroom, and she just has the magnificent Billy Idol poster on her bathroom door. I was they like, did this- go out of their way to shoot that in the frame, so... <laughs> But what I enjoyed most is, like, there was some sort of breeze or something, and you could tell the poster was on the door with one strip of tape at the very top. And I was just like, I was like, who would ever 
hang a poster like this. Like I want it. I now want to hang all my posters like that because it literally looks like a psychopath did it. Well, speaking of psychopaths, who like has their radio in their vehicle and then someone puts a cigarette in it and then they pour their whole seven up into the radio? <laughs> like I was watching that, I was like, what is this? Like who would react that way? And then go. Geez, why isn't it working? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. There's soda and cigarette and God only knows what else in there. Yeah. I just I like when he took the stereo to get fixed and he like justified why he had to pour the pop in it. And he's like, I didn't want to see it get ruined by like smoke and fire. Oh my god. I was like, I oh. mean those uh famously fragile eight track players <laughs> right one thing i will say that uh, i was very intrigued the entire movie was the music the mm. music selection which was fascinating and peculiar very bizarre yeah it was a really odd mixture of experimental like rock but then like kind of pop rock songs like classic rock but then opera i was just like this is for for me it was just like too confused like they had all this licensed music and then their original score would come in like over top of it and they'd have both of them playing at the one time with a weird mix and then the licensed music would fade out and the score would come back in it was just like i don't know i, I do get what you're saying like there were certain parts that i thought were it worked well but overall, it was just kind of it's kind of just noise, I guess, <laughs> at times. Yeah. Apparently, I, one of the guys from Pink Floyd was involved in the music. So, so Nick Mason uh, basically handled the music and everything. Who He's the drummer from Pink Floyd. I th- Yeah, I, th- I thought that, hey, that was kind of interesting. And I, I feel a little let down with anything you know, associated with Pink Floyd, like, touching this and it not being what it could have been. I felt, kind of for a modern comparison, I felt the same watching this, music-wise, as I did when the first, the first movie of Fear Street came out. Too many needle drops? Too many needle drops, and the needle drops were all packed in, like, the first half hour like first hour and then basically there's like no there's no licensed mainstream music afterwards so it just it's like kind of odd because at first i was like oh this is what it's gonna be it's just gonna be like all these like songs that everyone knows and they've licensed but i mean and that's fine this is what the soundtrack's gonna be but then there's just like an abrupt change yeah it would even make sense like because the main character paul like he like basically repairs stereos he like sets them up in people's houses and stuff so it makes sense if he almost had like a mixtape that he really liked or whatever and like that could have been like the soundtrack throughout the movie but it's well, yeah, like one of my notes was that they're they always have like their records out and they're always like putting on music and stuff so like it is very much like part of the plot that that music is playing it's not just like extraneous <laughs> yeah it was just like i don't really remember like his fingerprint being on the movie I, like the music so much i guess like the guy who plays uh the music in the car is like mike or whatever the guy's name i think it's mike uh yeah. like yeah. an eight track the guy who pours a seven up in the stereo like so it was just it would have been interesting if the killers 
music was kind of throughout the whole movie, but it, it just seems to be, I don't know, whatever they're feeling, I guess. Yeah, and I just feel like there's a real missed opportunity. So, like, our killer Paul, I thought, like, it was a really interesting premise. Like, I've I've never seen anything like this. Like, this music guy that, you know, has a really weird... <laughs> oh my god weird thing that we show off at the beginning where he can like like basically tone his voice in perfect harmony and then tell you everywhere that you need a speaker in your room yeah. that'd be great for the podcast setup figuring out where to put in the foam pads yeah <laughs> it's definitely the most unique uh unique superpower-esque thing I've ever seen in my life. That, I don't know, it's like in the first, shown once or twice in the beginning of the movie, and then shown again at the end, which I was like, did they only put this in here so he can stick his head down this, like, rusty hallway and do it and try and seem menacing? Like, I I don't know. Yeah. It was goofy, though. Like, it wasn't scary at all. <laughs> yeah. So quirky. Well, and I just feel like it was really, like, a, a missed opportunity, because I feel like something could have been I mean, I'm not a screenwriter or anything, but, like, it, it was definitely unique enough. I was like, maybe if we're going with this weird tonal motif thing, like, maybe this will turn, you know, he does it every time he's, like, killing someone. Killing someone, not. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, well, that's the thing. It's, like, usually when you have such a weird, quirky thing like that, there's a payoff. There's, like, some reason in the plot for it to be kind of, like, consistently done in this movie. It's just, like... I think it's the one thing that like sets him apart from the other sound engineers in the area or something, because one of the guys early in the movie said like, you know, he mentions like, oh, I've heard about your talent or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, people want you like all over different states. And Also, he says early in the movie that he can't do it with his eyes open when he's even when like his wife is there. And I was kind of like, okay, so he's going to do this, like, at some point in the movie, and it's going to be really menacing, like, when he's doing it with his eyes wide open, like, bugging out, look like a crazed person. And, I mean, maybe he does do that right at the end of the movie. I'm not sure if his eyes are open or not, but it's certainly not in, like, a menacing way. That kind of sets up. Like, there's no payoff for a lot of, a lot of things in this no, movie. No, yeah. Is it even set up? <laughs> Can you even call it that? Well, it was mentioned. I thought it was set up, you know, when you mentioned such a weird, quirky detail in the first 15 minutes, right? You expect that to be paid off at some some point but yeah. it's just not it's just it's like thrown aside there's also like details about his daughter being a troublemaker and like getting into trouble that i was like okay are we commenting on um kind of like he is he has issues so he passed them on to his children like are we going to be commenting on that uh but that's all thrown aside and i think we need to comment on how the cop washes his hands in the toilet the detective that's a <laughs> that's a key scene <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to be paid off. I saw him shake a man's hand a scene later, and that's all I could think about. Wow, yeah. The payoff is watching that happen. <laughs> so um, bizarre. In a murder scene, too. Blood all over the shower curtains, and he's just washing his hands in the toilet. Like I feel like the cop, what was his name? Like, Mendoza. Yeah, Detective Charles Mendoza. Charles Mendoza. I gotta give credit. Art Evans is the actor. I, I looked it up. Uh, I think he's the only one that knew what this movie was and was gonna be, because he's 
fucking weird in this movie. It's just like bizarre. He's the only one that I feel is like kind of not playing it straight. Like he's super goofy. But that's the thing. I think they were trying to play this movie straight, which is oh, the yeah. weird thing. But so he just like he kind of like sticks out now the other way where it's like he's the one who's actually playing into like a schlocky what like should be a horror slasher. And everyone yeah. else is like trying to give this like nuanced performance and it's like he then then he sticks out i got i'm just like so thrown off by washing his hands in the toilet that i can't even take anything else he's doing seriously and also his last scene with her in the diner or whatever it's like it's kind of creepy i was wondering like if he was coming on to her or something at the end of the movie where they're talking about i, know, I was like bitches are you dating or <laughs> that's kind of what i was wondering it seemed like they were on a date or something but i i don't think that's the but she would just like to completely did not seem to give a fuck i was yeah, like okay is she just like looking for a ride out of town or <laughs> yeah it's it's bizarre i mean i i didn't even know know half the time what was going on i I feel the way it was, like, cut and edited and just scripted, like, this was definitely felt like a fever dream or something. Like, I found a lot of the scenes were, like, really disjointed. Well, I think that was the point. Well, and that's... I have to say, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel, too, where it's, like, I don't know, the middle of the movie, like, kind of put me in, like, a fugue state, and I don't know if it was because I was so bored or if it was actually, like, through the filmmaking, because, I don't know, when you watch something like Mulholland Drive, like... It does have this whole like dreamy feel to it and a quality that I th- in that movie is definitely like that is the intention. Oh, in this yeah, movie, it pays off too. Yeah, in this movie, I'm not sure if that's the intention or not, but it took until like the second or third time they flash back for me to fully realize that there was, you know, that this was a weird flashback narrative where we're getting, you know, dueling narratives going at the same time. And I was at like, the oh, same his- time, yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, his hair is longer. Okay, now I know it's a flashback, <laughs> you know? Is I don't know. It was quite jarring, and that that was like the movie didn't make a lot of sense to me either, Rowan. Like, and I'm usually pretty decent, I would say, with following you know the thread. But like as I was watching it, I was just like, this feels just like a bunch of scenes, and there's not really like a narrative thread going through it. It's not like cohesive. Yeah, uh, I was definitely I, lost at times. I feel like they were like trading on his like previous work as like an experimental arty type of director honestly i think now that you talk about that i could see that maybe there was some sort of competing ideas going on or something where they were looking for something a little more mainstream which would make sense with like the music and that kind of stuff i mean i feel like if you're using like you know this would have been eight you know this was 87 so i'll say you know current rock hits and a little older of the time that you're probably going for a somewhat mainstream audience and then yeah there must have been some sort of disconnect there with with like you know a artsy director that was like yeah oh oh yeah i was just gonna say like with the way it's pitched in terms of like oh like suburban housewives are getting murdered in their own homes it is very much like people would be interested in seeing that. I mean, there's always a fascination with serial killers, especially among like yeah. that demographic, you know, specifically like suburban housewives, middle-aged women, yeah. you know, that that sort of thing. So it makes sense that it should be more commercial, but then I, I kind of wind up being like, Mike, it's like, well, then we have this long ass opening sequence with birds flying around in the sky and we're co- constantly crossfading. And I don't know, the camera pans up to the, the sun and you get all the colors inverted and stuff like when we look at the sun and I understand that. But it's like for a normal audience, when you're watching that, it's just like, 
oh, did they fuck up the camera here? Like, what's on the go here? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah. there's multiple shots in this movie, too, that are very artsy, just like these close zooms on the eyes. And it's almost like it doesn't even really work because I understand the name of the movie is the white of the eye. You know, he wants to use these shots to kind of convey terror or whatever. And it's just like. I don't know, they're, like, out of focus, they're not looking in the right way, like, they just don't work at at all. So, yeah, there is a conflicting ideology here between trying to be mainstream and trying to be artistic, I think. Well, it's funny because I kept writing Desert Argento (laughs) because it was just, like, a sun-baked, like, wannabe Argento movie. I was hoping it would be like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, so did you, Ro. But, um, you know, and, and it's funny because, like, in a lot of Argento's films, they, they hilariously use, you know, close-ups of eyes and stuff. But it's very important to the, like, theme of the movie, and it kind of fits with some of the things that are happening in the narrative. Yeah. That, like, you have this focus on, like, an eye as, like, a vehicle. But, like, in this, I was like, okay, I'm really looking forward to, like connecting the kind of like theoretical dots here and i just couldn't <laughs> you know what i mean like like a canon argento like it seems like to actually create an organic whole whereas in this it didn't yeah i think the people that are talking about this movie being like incredibly complex or like pr- like don't get me wrong it dabbles in a bunch of different themes but i think mm-hmm. they're kind of reading about these themes and then projecting it onto the movie i don't think the movie's doing a good job of actually giving us this information yeah exactly exactly we also have this weird underlying theme about like being an apache and all this like culture oh my God, yeah which had like nothing you know at first i was like okay i was like we must be getting introduced to this thread because then i i was thinking you know like giallo it's very common for giallos to mix you know that slasher with like some sort of like supernatural mysticism or or whatever mysticisms so in like the crows at the beginning so so i'm like all right something's gonna be cool maybe i was just harking back to my uh the weekend by christopher pike but i was like maybe this you know like we're gonna have someone that like sees through the crow's eyes and the crow sees everything or like something something like this but there's like there's literally no like you said like most of the threads in this there's no payoff i mean other than we give uh paul like some super huge necklace that I'm assuming is supposed to be like an Apache necklace, but I like I don't remember like did he once in the film like say that he was indigenous? I remember I, my- I didn't get it either, yeah. Like I remember we had the kind of that confrontation with Mike in the flashback. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you know, like my great great grandfather like was Apache, and I'm like, okay, you know, Elizabeth Warren, we get it. Yeah, because they do make a, like, kind of a point at the beginning to be like, we're from the city, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like, setting themselves apart, so... Honestly, I I I think it's literally in there, like... I'm actually Aboriginal and white passing, so I have no idea, obviously, if Paul, the character, is supposed to be Native American or not. But I think, like... Any Native American representation in the movies very much just in costuming or like, oh, we're going to give him the big yeah. knife that it's kind of like that's what's used, mm-hmm. you know, fillet animals, you know, or yeah. like, I guess the paint at the end of the movie. And like, once again, I'm very ignorant of like Apache culture. I have no clue of like painting your face, like kind of from like the eyes down to the chin 
is like a thing but i have seen that in other movies when native americans have been depicted like you know kind of the red face paint on covering half the face um so i have no idea if but like that's basically all i can kind of point to in the movie of that representation it's like the dangers of appropriation yeah (laughs) if that if that is indeed what it is i mean i would assume i know when i was reading about it it, like it it said that donald uh kamel was like uh, that like a potch specifically a a, a apache culture okay is like an obsession of his and that he was really into it to me that's kind of what i thought after i read that i'm like okay like an artsy director and he just like it's something he's really into he wanted to work it in and there must have been i mean i don't know there's not a lot of information on this movie so i don't know how like the editing or any of the the financiers input would go into it Mm -hmm. Uh, but i mean i'm very curious at it like and I'd have to look further into, like, the Arrow edition, maybe, or something. Like, I wonder if there's, like, a director's cut of this, or, like, if... Because, to me, a lot of the hard edits in it, and edits, to me, that make the film just not make sense, because, mm-hmm. like, I found that the cuts would just abruptly be in something, and then you'd go to something totally different that had nothing to do with the prior scene, so I, I was curious that, like, maybe if this was just cut the shit and this is just kind of, you know, one of those things where a, a film, if it's cut too much, just becomes a mess. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing as well, because after I finished the movie, like, I read up on the Wikipedia just because it's like, did I understand all the plot beats? And when I was reading the Wikipedia, they had, like, the reveal of, like, him brutally killing the deer and, like, putting the blood on his face and stuff, like way further up in the wikipedia summary than when it is in the movie like in the movie it's literally within the last 10 minutes or at least the version i watched on shutter in the wikipedia summary that's like midway through the summary which obviously if we know paul is the murderer halfway through the movie like if he's the murderer there's extra tension to all the scenes he's in especially with women because he is very much like a womanizer in this movie so i kind of wonder like yeah is there a different cut of this movie or it you know where the, was the wikipedia summary just i don't know they just spoiled details before like the movie actually reveals them like i have no clue i guess uh you know we're talking about like the apache stuff i was just quickly while you were talking i was looking at like the IMDb trivia and it said that basically Donald Kamel had commented on it and said uh, that he was fascinated by Apache legends Apache Apache I I think my I never say things right I say Apache but I'm not sure if that's correct either yeah Apache legends uh, he came up with the film's title the phrase white of the eye which is describes those who look too closely into the eye of violence and how being a witness leaves a mark upon the viewer so why the fuck wasn't that in the movie at all like why wasn't that like the main theme of the movie like this movie it spends so much time just talking about random nonsense. Why didn't, why isn't that like a conversation in it? Like I, I like, obviously I get that near the end of the movie, especially with him kind of dressing up in the suicide vest and, you know, wanting to take like his wife and child out with him. I presume I'm not sure what exactly he's doing there at the end of the movie. Yeah. But like, yeah, the movie just like, that is a better description of the movie from the director answering a question than what I got watching this hour and 50 long minute movie yeah yeah well and i didn't and see the me like even the eye metaphor it doesn't really make sense because when the film starts i was like okay so 
like every, you know, A, I was like, like every Mike pick, this movie has something to do about eyes because Mike, you know, loves his jollos. And so <laughs> right? we, that's well, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. Into the soul. <laughs> and then I, I'm like, all right, this is kind of like, you know, I was like, this is kind of my vibe. Like we got the killer's eyes up close. Like, I'm like, I'm feeling this, especially because, you know, I'm very hesitant coming into it as like an American version of a Jalo, and I know that they usually fall flat. But if I'm correct, like a lot of the other times we see eyes, like they're other people's eyes. It's not like we're only seeing the killer's eyes or only seeing the victim's eyes. Yeah, you know, it's all over the place. It's everybody's. Yeah. It just yeah. seems like a stylistic choice. And like I said, even a lot of times they're not even shot or framed well. It's not like in a giallo where you do like a rack zoom on someone's face as they're like absolutely terrified and the music's all swelling and it's all coming together at the moment. Um, yeah. It's just all over the place. Yeah, and I I was going to say another thing I'd read that maybe uh, would kind of fight for a case that there's probably more there that wasn't seen is I saw that this movie originally got an X rating. Mm-hmm. For what? And then Marlon Brando wrote a letter to the MPAA, like, basically saying that it should be an R. And mm-hmm. apparently... You do what Marlon Brando says. Yeah, I assume the X, though, would have just been, like, more sex scenes, right? Like, more titillation, because, I mean, there is a lot of sex in this movie, and <laughs> a lot of, like... Yeah, but it's all very tame. Yeah, but that could be the thing, where it's like, I yeah, love sure, that sound of disappointment. Sure, Marlon well, Brando, you know... you know what? It could have been really hot. There should have been, like, a lot of nudity and stuff in it, but there well, wasn't. Well, we're talking about a giallo again, and at least this one has some sex in it. It's not, like, yeah. you know, it's not completely sexless, like, Malignant a month ago, but, like, this is closer to what I would expect from a giallo, at least, in that regard. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe they just cut out a lot of, I don't know, boobs i have no clue well in now that i really think about it more you know what this really reminds me of this reminds me of something that would definitely be on showcase at like 11 30 12 30 at night when i was like eight years old which of course is a mood and a vibe oh yeah this is like it i said th- yeah. Th- yeah this this movie everything that this movie brings even though it doesn't work should be a mike vibe like it's yes, definitely exactly. that's 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 what i'm saying like it's it's i was very surprised that's all i'm saying <laughs> I, I mean most people would probably be surprised that you weren't the curator for like late 80s early 90s showcase (laughs) if i could go back in time and do one job it would be that (laughs) but you know why because it would be this circular thing because it informed my aesthetic to begin with and then i'm like i want to go back and like play those movies and it would just be me like temporarily feedback looping myself the same things over and over (laughs) that would be amazing one thing that i definitely feel needs to be brought up and i don't say this lightly because i i tend to like to be a positive guy uh, people to live their lives uh, you know, do what they want to do, look how they want to look. And I don't like to speak ill of underage actors. Oh my oh. god, I know exactly what you're going to fucking say, because I got notes about it. But, I, I, do we have a candidate- Don't candid- feel bad. Do we have a candidate for ugliest kid ever in a I movie? called it, it, it was, <laughs> I kept calling her the girl with the adult face. <laughs> 
What's awful is you're like, bullying this kid, and it's literally a plot point in the beginning of the movie where the kids are bullying her about being too fat and ugly. <laughs> you're just piling on. We're all like, yeah, we don't blame them for bullying her. <laughs> that haircut alone, I mean, I I don't support bullying, but I in feel this like case you're jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like just the haircut. You're not supporting it. You're perpetrating it. <laughs> Cut, cut her hair. I feel like that would help. 30, like, she has this weird, like, mullet slash, like, rat tail thing going on. I mean, on. the haircut certainly doesn't help. She's killing it. And I get it. Like, I mean, 80, 87, I get it. I was born in 87. Thank God I didn't have hair probably until. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't give the ugliest kid award to this girl because I think Charlie in Hereditary probably actually has like the ugliest <laughs> face in a horror movie. But I mean, she was chosen and casted for that reason. And I love the performance, but I'm just saying like she's, you know, that's pretty rough looking in Hereditary. Yeah, no, you're right. The outfit choices for her were uh, very interesting. She had like one where... She had, like, that chunky, like, necklace that ma- looked like it was made of, like, pink yeah. paper clips. Yeah. And all There's I know- a lot it, of choices. A lot of choices. I do know I wanted Exilia to stay clear of seeing any of this, because I'm like, this, Exilia would probably try to wear these outfits this kid's wearing. And I don't oh, know. Oh, 100%. It's her, like, slapdash Careful homemade <laughs> crafts. No, it's just, I would literally, <laughs> if she was here right now, I'm going to text this to her. I would say it to her face. It's like homemade meets, like, thrift store chic aesthetic. Meets ugly kid aesthetic. Ah, uh, listen. <laughs> Yikes. I did that. That did not come out of my mouth. That part was all her husband. So (laughs) (laughs) now this is where we get to really make fun of make fun of Rowan. Uh, So these guys were smart enough when we watched this movie to watch it on Shudder, which I'm pretty sure I also knew it was on Shudder. But then I said it last recording. I was like, okay, it's on Shudder. Perfect. So I totally forgot. And then watch it on Tubi, and we love Tubi, I I love Tubi, Mm -hmm. but of course with Tubi, you have to watch commercials, like every- Lots of them, and they're really annoying and loud. (laughs) Every once in a while, and uh, so that made this viewing experience like an extra, like, 20 minutes, maybe, which I feel like just, you know, didn't help whatsoever- But I will say another thing I was very hesitant when I was looking up the movie before I watched it, and which I rightfully so was, was this movie is fucking long. This movie's two hours without commercials. It's like just under two hours. Yeah, I think it's an hour 50, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there is no reason this movie should be any like it shouldn't be any longer than like an hour 20 minutes other than if they were trying to make it a serious movie like a cop yeah, procedural like, or a drama you know trying to appeal to the two-hour crowd and the yeah. arty you know yes i feel like yeah and it's just we, the kill per time ratio like we got two ki- i mean i'm uh, not we, gonna we count. doubled the body count in the last 30 seconds of the movie yeah yeah and uh but i mean uh, for actual like you know slasher esque yeah. right kills. after you got a flashback of like a kiss and potential 
fucking homoerotic tension, and then all of a sudden they blow up. I well, saw. I was wondering what the movie was doing with that too. I was wondering, like, once again, because oh God, I don't want to really get into this movie and the complexities <laughs> of it. But he does go on this whole tirade about hating women and feeling like he's putting them out of their misery and stuff, and then. He does just weird, like, he just kisses his friend after hunting the deer. So I was wondering, like, if he was, like, a repressed gay man who really hated women for some reason. And... But also he said something. I can't remember. I should have written it down, but I was just Yeah, he makes like... a comment about, like, his friend liking both, like, men and women or yeah, something. But yeah, but when it cuts back to, like, yes. the kind of current state yeah yeah so i have no clue if any of that factors into the movie but it is just a weird detail that i was wondering if it was like oh is this like a sleepaway camp ending where i don't know the the guy the killer's gay so that's why he murdered everybody like i i, yeah. I, I don't know donald kamel must have known that i was gonna watch this movie review this movie and i was gonna dub this movie to have lots of homo erotici homo erotici your favorite <laughs> i know i it's really it's really a podcast in its own, right? I mean, the the term is yours. Copyrighted. So, yeah. Although I swear I've heard it, but I'm sure I didn't. I just took two yeah, words. Yeah, you heard it together. and you bouncing around your head for years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the ending for a little bit. All right. So, uh, most anticlimactic ending of all time. Like, somehow a giant explosion is anticlimactic, but you're right. <laughs> You're totally right. But this is like the oxymoron of it is like, which I thought maybe was like kind of deliberate because I was like, you got all these explosives and all these guns. Mike has this fucking like, for some reason, I thought we were in a jungle hunting predators now. I was oh, there's I a predator moment. Predator, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like we just have like a gun bigger than any man. Yeah. Which a hundred percent, there's no way that's a real gun because it it like looks like a machine gun but then they just like had a weird front attachment that made no sense with the caliber of bullets in that like when paul gets shot like five or six times in the legs that would have just blew his legs clean off like that would have been, <laughs> it know, been a very different like, ending literally how do you still have appendages yeah <laughs> like tell me well and i like and i mean i know it's like a common movie trope but i just like it because it's like oh my god like don't hit the explosives and i'm thinking like why are we not just taking this revolver and just shooting him in the forehead? Like, let's yeah. like it'd be it'd be done. Cause a, it's 1987. This guy doesn't have a remote or anything. This guy's got to literally light a fucking wick yeah. or whatever. This set with this, his bick, a wick bick. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then secondly, I was thinking like he lights it. They know he's light, light, like lit it. I'm like, why would you just like jump on him and then like he'd probably just land on the wick. And it would just, like, go out. It seems to me it was pretty easy to not die. But then you wouldn't have the explosion, and it would be an even bo more boring ending. Like, also, how, how did Mike... Did I miss a plot point? Like, how did he know they were going to the quarry at this specific time with this tunnel and all that stuff? Like, he literally, like grabs her leg or something at one point isn't it like shit starts falling down i was so confused you're supposed to be confused because i don't think there was a time she went and visited him that once yeah which i st 
I still have no real fucking idea why. We're talking about, like, at the mechanic, like, right, where he's a mechanic and he's singing a song. Yeah, that's all I remember as well. So I was like, did they concoct this whole plan here? Like, what is this? And, like, when he's at the mechanics, I, like, I was really confused because I'm like, is he now, like, cognitively challenged or something? Like, he was act like, he was really weird and, like, I was like... I'm like, am I in Slame Blade or something? Like, what's going on with Mike here? They mentioned that he's, like, recently out of jail, I think. Yeah. So I think it's supposed to be, like, I don't know, he did something. Because clearly they're trying to set him up as the killer, right, for the movie. So they're just giving this dude, like, no screen time and just saying a bunch of shit about him. And then, I don't know, he has to be a hero at the end of the movie. I don't know. (laughs) But, like, at the end, my thing is, like, okay, so we have... (laughs) The giant explosion, which, A, we we get, like, that aerial view of, like, basically this whole canyon just fucking going off, Mm -hmm. which there's no way she escapes that in that amount of time. She dove in the water, Rowan. The fire can't get you under there. Yeah, she she dove in what looked to be the, like, three-foot beginning of the water, anyway. A puddle, yeah. She's like, this is well, in the invincible. And the aerial shot just shows like this it's like all this fucking rubble just like going into the water. I'm like, there's probably huge pieces of fucking cliff just piled on top of her. Yeah, just the whole ending, I was just like, ugh. Like, then the sloppy, like, like you said, when she meets up with Mendoza, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, one-minute explanation of, like, oh, I didn't know, like, oh, what could have been? Well, it ends on, like, this idea that you can love someone and not know, like, what they've been doing, obviously. So she, it's kind of like this idea of, like, oh, I've loved them for the past 10 years, and how could he've been doing this in the last 10 years? Which is, like, once again, yeah, that's a fine theme for your movie is not explored in the rest of the movie it's just like it's a line i go like okay yeah i can understand that rationale but it's like usually if you have something like that in literally your final scene that should be like oh yeah we were hit over the head throughout the movie this idea multiple times so it it all comes together in the end and it's just it doesn't here well and i mean another another theme that donald kamel did say this movie was about was an artistic study of man's need to destroy. I mean, I would be more apt to agree with that if there was actually more destruction in the movie. You know I what I mean? I guess it's the idea it's of like trying to... It's mostly like referenced off screen. Trying to destroy his marriage through adultery. I don't know. Like killing a couple of people. I have no clue. That's what I'm saying. Like a couple of the monologues yeah. in this movie, it's just, it has ideas. I... There's bits and pieces. They just don't fit together. No. And that's why I'm saying, like, a lot of people talking about how, like, thematically rich and complex this movie is, they are getting these monologues, getting the kernel of an idea, and then they're just spending way more time deliberating on it and thinking about it and bringing all these different points. Like, the movie itself is not doing that. It is throwing things out there and not paying anything off. That's the entire movie. Yeah, I think it's like banking on people, expounding on it. It's like, then we don't have to. (laughs) Also, that tub reveal was weird. I know where we were talking about themes, but I'm saying, like, when she's throwing up in the toilet, then she, like, picks a little, like, rope or floss or twine or whatever it is and just starts peeling it back and, like, takes off a plate or, like, I don't know what it is up at top that she... I did off. like that cute little plate with the nice like bar of Neutrogena on it, but like yeah, but I mean, why would that be like a fixed? Okay, I guess he's hiding a secret compartment, but it's it's really dumb. Like as 
a wife, like, would have you ever tried to move this weird-ass bar of soap with the plate? Like, you know, it's just, it's just a strange yeah. detail. Also, I was very confused when that was revealed. I was kind of like, the scale was off where I didn't know if it was human body parts or if it was just literally, like, a dude yeah. hanging rabbits or some shit. Like, I had no clue what the reveal was actually supposed to be. Me too. It did... It did it did definitely like kind of fuck with my perception for a couple of minutes. Yeah. I was just like, okay. I was like, yeah, I was thinking, is that an animal? Cause you know, they're like, Oh, he's a hunter. hunter or yeah. 100%. Is it legitimately like a, like a human being? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was bizarre. But like I said, I mean, I, uh, you were half asleep at that point. So I was half. Yeah. I was at that point. I was just like, Jesus Christ. Uh, so I feel like we can ask the final question of, is it unsettling? It's unsettling that I spent an hour and 50 minutes watching it. I wish I spent 85 minutes watching it. Either that or I wish I kind of did like the bad podcasting and watched the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes. And I probably would have came oh, away with a like a, yeah, that that was a yay. That was good if I just watched that much. But yeah. Yeah, I, I think the only unsettling thing about it are the uh, the cuts. That's yeah. pretty much the only thing that unsettled me. Oh my god, and the, just the cop washing his hands in the toilet. That's truly unsettling. Oh yes, of course. Yes, that's, that's unsettling. unsettling, yeah. I agree, I agree. And the goldfish. The poor goldfish. That the poor goldfish. Was also unsettling. And the dog. There was more. Oh like, yeah, the dog. There shot. was more. Um, <laughs> like animal violence in this, or even suggested, or us projecting. Which is is truly the also, the most irksome part. Hyping him up as this great hunter the entire movie, and he shoots like I don't know half a dozen shots at his, his daughter running away and can't, his daughter can't right? get her. And it's like and then gets the dog one get shot. A child, no like... problem. Yeah. No, I kind of got that. I kind of assumed he didn't want to kill the daughter because he seemed that was the only. And why take person. the shots? He's shooting at her though. So, yeah. You know. Maybe to scare her. Maybe to get her to run away or something. I don't know. Although I guess realistically, I think she her... was pretty scared. As it was, I really don't think she needed any help. Yeah, that doesn't hold up because now I think about it, he was planning on just blowing them all up. Yeah, and he wanted her to like not pay attention to him, go make a sandwich or some shit. So yeah, I do feel like before we get in the rating, we do have to talk about uh, which we didn't say that makes it even worse is that not only the cops not just like washing his hands in like water in a toilet, but it's like cleaning chemical toilet because it's like blue. Oh, I never even noticed that detail. You're watching more closely than I am. <laughs> yeah, like like the Oh, so it's like 2000 flushes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like that guy's actually using like stuff that I'm sure is not supposed to touch your skin. Wow. No, but I feel like it's not that bad because it would be like splashing up on your bum and stuff. <laughs> I'm just I'm looking at the the cover or the poster on IMDb now and it just has this blue blood splashed all over the front and I'm just thinking yeah that's just the blue water of the toilet yeah it's just the toilet water it's like we know what's truly the most horrific scene just when you thought it was safe to go back in the bathroom See, they they knew when they were making the movie. They're like, yeah, put uh put the toilet water on it. See if anyone catches that this movie's shit. I didn't give away my rating. I swear. <laughs> Just a reminder to follow us on all of our social media at It Slays Podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, soon to be on Tumblr. Uh, of course, we're on Spotify and iTunes. And if you're adding us on iTunes, don't forget to leave us an iTunes review. Uh, it doesn't even need to be five star. We appreciate five star. But uh, the most important part is we want to hear from you. So uh, write us a uh, text 
review in the iTunes app, and we will make sure to give you a shout-out on the podcast. Uh, Every review helps as it bumps us up in the search engine, and, you know, that's what it's all about. Back to the podcast. Yeah, well, let's... uh go in the rating this bad boy. So if you're new to the program, our rating system is nay, okay, yay, or slay. Uh, Mike, this was your pick. Why don't you start us off? Um, honestly, I'm gonna give it a nay. Um, <laughs> there were things about it that I liked. Like, first of all, I this is probably, and you can mark, mark it in your book, grow. the first time that I was not able to spend 20 minutes talking about my love for the lead actress. <laughs> but I do, and that's one of the reasons why I've always wanted to see this, because I love Kathy Moriarty. She's been in a couple of my favorite, like, cult movies, like, um, Soap Dish and But I'm a Cheerleader. Yeah. And she's brilliant in them, and I think she's, like, a really cool, like, versatile actress. But she was not enough to save it for me. And uh, I did like a lot of the shots and some of the like, you know, just the the framing and stuff. But again, it, it just everything else just didn't mesh for me. So those elements and like kind of the weird, cool music and stuff just didn't. None of that was done well enough to to really salvage it for me. I think maybe five years down the road, if I pick up the Blu-ray for like cheap somewhere or whatever and give it a go and watch all the extras and maybe i'll see it in a different light but just right now it didn't do it for me and i was very i had very high hopes for it too so that was the other thing so i was really 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 expecting like you know this like kaleidoscopic art house american argento starring kathy moriarty and it was not that <laughs> it tried but i think it failed so that's you know the, the 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 it's not it's lesser than the sum of its parts for me how about you colton i was gonna say you should go next rowan because you um, always go last so let's hear it uh so it was really hard deliberating what i was gonna give this and then after that 10 seconds of turmoil <laughs> i uh i knew immediately i was gonna give this a nay uh and and like i said i it's not that i wasn't open-minded about it just like mike i i was like this you know like i've never heard of it i like the idea like an american jollo like sure this could be fun uh there could be some threads I even the weird beginning, I was like, okay, like, you know, close-ups on the eyes, the beginning murder was like fantastic. The color was amazing. I was like, awesome, like we're in for a show. And and then basically it just dropped off after that first murder. Mm-hmm. I literally had to watch a entire scene of a cop that you kind of think's gonna be important, but isn't flosses teeth and that's kind of where i really started to evaluate my life and what i was doing (laughs) it wasn't even artsy enough of a shot to just stand as like this is a really cool shot yeah (laughs) you know what i mean i was just like it's just a close-up close-up so i mean yeah i i'm assuming if you're listening to this episode you've seen this film and i'm almost scared to say that if you're listening to this episode you might even like this film because I, like I saw, like it, it doesn't really have a terrible rating anywhere. No, it like it's no, it's, a lot of the like when it got re released, a lot of the articles I saw about it were like very glowing, mm-hmm. it, which is great. I mean, you know, 
one man's trash Power is another man's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it just wasn't for me. Yeah, it's gonna be a, a strong nay. I, I don't think this is even worth if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it. I would skip it. Yeah, for me, I, I actually came into this and I was kind of like going to give it a really, really, really soft okay. Like really, really like I didn't want to say nay because in my mind, like nay is like bad, like offensively bad. And yeah. I was kind of like this was more of like a, a meh. Like I, I don't care. It's like mediocre completely. But I mean, we don't have that rating. So yeah, I'm going to have to go after talking yeah, through it with no, you. See, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, You're after right. talking through it with you guys, it's like, yeah, I'd have to give it a nay as well. I don't think it's as strong as Rowan's. I do like, obviously, the initial kill and actually the last, like, 10, 15 minutes, even though it's really stupid and goofy. At least it was fun. I wasn't bored. Yeah. Oh, it was fun, yeah. Yeah, so overall, the movie's just very dull. And like I already said, at one point in this movie, it's... Or, sorry, in this podcast, it's just... It doesn't really work structurally at telling, like, a coherent and cohesive story. Like, I just really feel like it's a bunch of scenes thrown together, and I was so confused and not invested. You know, there's literally an hour in the middle of this movie that I was like, I don't even know what's going on, and I don't know if I care to even look into it, really. So, yeah, it's a nay from me as well. All right, so uh, three nays all around, uh... Exilia definitely uh, was sleeping most of this movie, um, so I will I will give her uh, a nay rating as well, just because I know she uh, would say fuck this movie. If you're trying to sleep, maybe a slay from Exilia. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> After that first kill, then you're gone. So we will get into the budget game. So the budget game is where I know how much the movie cost to make and made, and. Colton and Mike will battle to the death to figure out the answer. And the winner this evening, as a ugly kid in a movie once said, will win a vest made of hot dogs. Oh, wow. We will start with the cost, as always. Colton, what do you think this made? <laughs> or this cost? I have no clue what this made or what it cost. I don't know. There's a big explosion in it. I feel like they just did it in an empty quarry, like probably on a blasting day. Like, there was probably literally nobody around. It was just a overhead shot. Um, I don't know. Let's go with, like, $500,000. I don't know. It, it, I have no clue. 500000 Good guess. Mike, what's your guess? Like $8 million? I don't know. Ooh. Like Pink Ooh. Floyd people were involved in it. I well, feel that like, is true. Yeah. There, there, was, there was definitely budget going somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where, but it was somewhere. So uh, the closest will be Colton. Uh, so the film cost $2.8 million. Okay, but I'm make. still off by quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so art takes money sometimes. So... And I feel like, kind of like Mike said, I feel like a lot of that budget probably went to getting the drummer from Pink Floyd and licensing the music and all that kind of stuff. And probably a fair bit of cocaine, but anyway, that's just conjecture. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, So let's do how much this film made, and we'll start with you, Mike. Okay, well, I guess I'll go down and say, like, $6 million. $6 million. I'm probably still off by, like, $4 million, but whatever. (laughs) So we don't have a white of the eye, too. And <laughs> this was made for what two point seven? I don't know, man. I'm gonna say one million dollars, one point five million dollars. So you're both over. Colton oh, yeah. is the closest. So uh, 
the figures are only I take it only was a North American release. Oh, okay. Uh it made two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Big hit. <laughs> Which I mean, I think, you know, uh like we said, it's got an arrow release now, but definitely I think is more of a uh, some sort of cult class cult movie. I don't want to say classic, but cult <laughs> movie now. So it doesn't surprise me that it didn't do very well. <laughs> hey, are you interested in becoming a horror hound? Then join us at www.patreon.com slash it slays podcast and uh, check out everything we have to offer. We have uh, cool things from podcast shout outs to picking movies all the way to uh, maybe getting yourself a free t-shirt. So uh, if you're interested in joining us and becoming a horror hound, join us at patreon.com slash podcast. So all that is left really is to announce our next film, which is our final film of Octorfest, which will see all four of us unite finally our power grows <laughs> that's right we're like the power rangers except with spandex far tighter how can it be any tighter but anyway, <laughs> i was gonna say no comment <laughs> we're not gonna ponder that <laughs> so the film is uh as always we do every halloween we talk about a halloween movie and we go in order because of our raging ocd mm-hmm. that is halloween three the notorious, the celebrated season of the witch. Michael Myers is great in this one. <laughs> I heard it's one of his greatest Perhaps roles his, ever. His best performance. Yeah. So we will be back for that. That's going to release on Halloween morning. All right. I'll hold you to that. You, you got it out there now. So. You can that, cut it out, that's I right. suppose. Okay, or we'll just edit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it will be out Halloween morning. I uh, I got some time to edit. I'll, I'll stop procrastinating, and uh, it will be out. So I think that is everything for uh, this evening. Thank you for joining us. We will be back. I am your humble host, Rowan. It's Mike. Bye. And I'm Colton. See you later. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface. But the prime time gets... Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. Gotta return some video.